Hey, happy Wednesday, and thanks for coming back with the third day of the Airport Minute, the podcast that covers the greatest disaster movie ever made. I am one of your co-hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, Mark Cerulli of CovertOps.tv. And we are continuing to uh, fight our way through the endless credits at the beginning of this movie. This was a big-time movie, ton of credits. It was a lot of people working on this film, and it, it was the heyday, or kind of the, the end. This was the swan song for big be kind of the end of the studio movies and this is a classic uh universe this is universal all hands on deck kind of movie for for a hundred million dollars they're getting their or for ten million dollars they're getting their money's worth but we are just finishing up the cast there's a there's a couple of names these are more the second string third string folks in the movie a couple of names that are flying by as the uh ice melting trucks are driving down the runway one i want to point out is lou wagner who plays a young genius boy skyler in uh, I think he's in 18F in the, in the seats. He's, That's uh, scary, Jim. That you know that you got to know these things when you're watching this movie too many times. Uh, yeah, Lou Wagner's the guy in the Buddy Holly glasses. Who? Well, we'll, we'll we don't want to spoil. It. We'll come up to that minute about an hour in. But uh, Lou Rag- Wagner is also known as the uh, young assistant of Zira and Cornelius on Planet of the Apes. He was their lab assistant, and he's also the guy that uh, is fighting the man. Well, or fighting the ape at the end of that movie. Hmm. That's Lou. And he's still, Lou is still with us. A, uh, uh, hopefully we can have him on this, this podcast yeah, if, sometime. If you hear this, Lou, and you want to talk about making this movie, uh, please give us a call. Jay will tell, Jim will tell you how at the, at the end. Yeah, uh, definitely want to hear from him. An- another one on that list is, of course, the fabulous Janice Hansen. She was a, a former Playboy Bunny. And former Mrs. Played- Unger. That's right. She was uh, she was uh, Felix's ex-wife on the and and then later wife at the uh, for the season fin- for the uh, show finale series finale uh, and uh, is very familiar to uh, odd couple viewers. And then there's uh, a bit part Shelley Novak as Joe Petroni's co-pilot on that 707 stuck in the snow. Uh, Mark, you had some information about Shelley. He was a uh, star athlete in uh, Venice High School, and he also was a member of the AFL, professional wow. football player. So there he was. And then he wound up in this movie. Somehow. Well, I guess he's in California. you got to get in a movie. Yeah, yeah. We're finally finished with all the uh, many players and now we're going to get into the crew the first one up is uh, of course the cinematographer director of photography ernest laszlo he did a bunch of great movies i mean inherit the wind judgment at nuremberg he did uh, one of my favorite films which i would love to do a minute of someday fantastic voyage back in uh, 66 just previously to this yes with donald pleasance who we all loved yeah. as blofeld and he only lived twice yes and he actually also worked on my movie i say my movie because i was <laughs> I was an extra in the movie uh, Logan's Run back in 1976. That was his final film. Yes, uh, yes, millennials, we're we're getting old. Okay. Yes. Get that right out there right now. But he was behind the lens while they were shooting uh, big crowd scenes with me in a green tunic. Don't don't touch the camera, young man. Don't touch the camera. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about more about Mr. Laszlo as the film progresses. It's amazing that the the talent pool that was drawn on to build this soap opera of a movie. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're looking at the uh, the art directors show up on the screen now. Uh, Alexander Galitsyn and uh, E. Preston Ames, both of whom were uh, longtime employees of Universal Studios. Man. Galitsyn worked on uh, probably his biggest one. Well, he worked on everything from uh, uh, Claude Rains' version of uh, Phantom of the Opera back in the 40s. Wow. He did To Kill a Mockingbird. Spartacus. Holy cow. He worked on Spartacus. 
I mean, think about all the art direction that they had to do with that, with the uh, gladiator yeah. dummies that they had to fight, and the, everything down to that spear that um, Woody Strode had. And I bet a lot of those costumes and everything are still uh, tucked away somewhere in the uh, Universal complex. Yeah, bur- buried as you as, never know. Didn't and, they? Did they just remade? Was it Ben Hur? Yeah. Yeah, they remade Ben Hur, so some of that stuff might have been in the uh, previous movies. I mean, I'm sure once MGM went belly up, uh, Universal probably went in and had first dibs on grabbing, you know, tools of the trade. So a lot of their costumes are probably scattered around both Hollywood and the uh, Universal Studios base in there. Digging into uh, more people, the film editor is probably the next one to hit mm-hmm. next. He did uh, that's Stuart Gilmore. He was up for three different uh, Oscar nominations. I don't think he won any. He was nominated for a bunch of them. And this was serious old school film editing, where you physically cut the film. You had those what would they call the the Steenbeck editing tables? Yeah, Steenbeck tables, yeah. the flatbeds, yep. and and then you you rolled it through a kinescope or a, you know basically a a, a, a non coin version of a Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And you actually cut film. You sat there with a razor blade and some acetone. And if you made a mistake, uh, you had to make a, 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 a an ugly phone call. Yes. Uh, we're really sorry about that. But yeah, fortunately, most people did it with work prints yeah. and then the, then the conforming. The conformers were the real talent there that they actually had to touch the alive first version film and chop it up. Nowadays, it's all After Effects and Premiere Pro. and Yeah, all done by computer for the most part. And... Yeah, I mean, not to put down the editor. Editors do an amazing job. That's... No, now now they actually have to add in the effects of dirt and scratches and grit. <laughs> and for those of us who grew up in an age of actually editing film, this is this is a good thing. We don't have to go back to those days. I I remember. I, I'm just gonna a quick quick story. Uh, one of my summers in college, I was a messenger for a movie advertising agency, and I had to deliver to some company. In Times Square, and I go up and I get off, and there were these women working on these. They had these linen bins, like laundry baskets, and strips of film, 35-millimeter film, were hanging from clips. And, and I get, it was part of the editing process. It was uh, one of Woody Allen's movies back in the 80s. So, uh, oh, Yeah, that's where the On the Cutting Room floor came from. It really, yep. They did have a cutting room. Yep. Uh, our editor for this movie, uh, Mr. Gilmore, had edited piles of stuff. He did Thoroughly Modern Millie, which was another Russ Hunter movie. Uh, he did The Alamo, uh, just trying to Journey to the Center of the Earth with James Mason. Oh, I love so, that movie. And all great color color films that they really had to make sure that the timing, the color correction was okay. I mean, it was astonishing. Uh, so now we're going to start getting into the more technical parts of this movie. The uh, you know the sound was done great. If you listen to this movie in stereo. And by the way, I can really recommend this to you. I'm, we're not being paid by Universal Home no, Entertainment. Not, and we want to no. remain friends of Universal, uh, NBC Universal's legal department. Hello, guys. Yeah. But they have done an excellent job. If you haven't had a chance, get the Blu-ray. or even It's even better than the digital. I think the Blu-ray has such amazing range on it. The, the sound is all mixed in 5.1 Dolby now, and uh, the color correction has been great. It's uh, it's just an astonishing film to see on a screen. It you pretty much it's the same uh, experience that people had back in the day at the theater. Actually, it's probably even a better experience because the film isn't scratched and nobody was lighting a cigarette in front of you, which they could do <laughs> back then. Exactly. This is uh, this is the time before there was stuff dropping off the balcony on top of you, and you don't have to sit in a uh, 
uh, a seat that has the springs pushing through the velvet. Mm. So those were the days. Yeah. Anyway, it's <laughs> the experience. So you can have the experience at home without the experience. Right. And, uh, that's, that's our free plug for Universal Home Video. But, but I there really will be many it. more. Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. I talk about so, the technical advisors. I mean, they yeah. actually had a, a former air traffic controller. And he will be appearing shortly in about the next two minutes. Watch for a fellow on the phone who has to call a uh, who has to call one of the stars of the show. That's Mr. John Dennett, who is a real air traffic controller. And he told Ross Hunter and George Seaton that producer and director how to film this how what they would say at, a, at an appropriate moment a lot of pilots and uh, people who work in the airline business say that this movie uh, when they watch it is one of the most accurate despite all the soap opera-ness of it it's one of the most accurate descriptions of how uh, takeoffs and landings and air traffic was controlled back in the 60s so you're actually watching almost a documentary at least that portion of it as to uh, whether or not there's people like Burt Lancaster who run an entire airport without any help from anybody well we're getting ahead, yeah, we're getting we're getting ahead. ahead. So we'll leave that alone the music editor Arnold Schwarzwald uh, for this movie uh, had to cut Alfred Newman's uh, songs into the show he did a lot of the work here even though he gets a minor credit because uh, Newman was in very bad uh, health uh, at the time of this movie, he actually died before the movie was released. So uh, he didn't get to see a lot of his final composition on the screen. But uh, Schwarzwald is the uh, kind of the unsung hero of songs. Uh, no pun intended. So we're looking out as we're watching those music, that music editor uh, clip go by. Uh, you'll notice a view of the parking lot in uh, what's supposed to be Chicago, but it's actually Minnesota. Now, is that fake can... snow or real snow? No, it's real. It's well, the snow falling isn't real, but right. the snow on the ground definitely real. Uh, that one sign you'll see a large sign that says SA. That SA is uh, from a gas station group called Super America, which is a regional. Actually, it's a very local uh, Minneapolis gas station thing. It was kind of like a Seven Eleven is nowadays, or uh, you know, whatever whatever the local equivalent is by you. Cumberland Cumberland Farms in the east and seventy uh, six New the Jersey. West. Exactly. So all of those things, this was the proto Wawa mm. of its day. All right. <laughs> That's a, a thing to look for. Trivia for just just to know about those two letters that you're seeing. It's a misplaced sign. It's pretending to be Chicago. So uh, next up, we have uh, Bud Westmore. Mark, you could probably talk about some of his Universal oh stuff. Oh my I God, would... he's one of the grand old names, right? He uh, he well, the whole family, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, going way way back, and uh, I actually love one of his later creations uh of creature from the black lagoon although he was assisted by a woman who deserves a ton of credit uh millicent something or other let me let me uh let me go right to the videotape as it were yeah the westmore family did everything from uh you know movies like this to i think they did lurch's stuff on the adams family they you know if you wanted if you wanted somebody that could handle makeup the right way they don't really have a lot of makeup in this millicent patrick movie. millicent patrick okay and the Gilman suit was made from airtight molded sponge rubber and cost fifteen thousand bucks according to wikipedia and uh just a, a little more insane james bond trivia the guy that played the creature in the water uh riku browning uh was uh, a very famous underwater uh, specialist, and he, he worked on Flipper, but he worked on Thunderball. He actually coordinated all the underwater fight sequences, and uh, I got to chat with him 
last year and just a just a brilliant very humble very nice guy yeah it's amazing how many people behind the scenes that you know they, they they're the ones that make the movie but we only see the stars generally at the you know the front end of it but there's so much going on behind the scenes uh it's nice being able to talk to some of them and hopefully if there's any surviving <laughs> crew members as well as the cast we're interested in talking to the cast if anybody out there is part of the crew yeah. please get a hold of it we'll be talking about if you even how snapped to a clapperboard during yeah, one of the takes there, we want to talk if, to you if you happen to be in uh, the airport the night they were shooting the big Yahoo shot of everybody in town, mm. that, that would be great too. If you're the old lady with the boxes, yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> or if you're the great granddaughter yeah. of the old. First lady of with all, the boxes. what's the secret to eternal youth? And second of all, what was it like making uh, making that film? Yes, did you, yes. When you, when you could call Helen Hayes young lady. Yep. <laughs> uh, wow. So we get to uh, there's the cosmetics, Universal Pictures. So they did it in an in house all the all the cosmetics. They didn't have to pay anybody for that because they were on the payroll already. This is, there's a empty bug at the beginning there, which shows that they're part of the Society of Motion Picture Television Engineers. So this was a union shop. The Westrex logo, which indicates the sound was recorded by Western Electric. Uh, let's see. And then the copyright notice of Universal Pictures and Ross Hunter. They shared the production credit. So every time Universal gets a dollar, Ross Hunter gets fifty cents of that dollar. Well, his his Area. estate. Well, his estate does, yes. Or well, what's left over? It's the net net of the however all those things work. But whatever's left over, he gets half of whatever Universal's getting. Or yeah, his family does. So we're looking at a bunch of oh, look at those great '60s cars out there. There's a bunch of Volkswagens and there's uh, oh yes, there's so you, yes. Allen. There's this great shot, a uh, wide shot of the parking lot, and all the cars are covered with snow except for a VW Bug. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> bright red yep. well yeah must have just got oh, nobody gonna found notice. It. keep going keep going found found an empty spot yeah and then uh of course they're saying it's produced by todd ao which ao is american optical todd ao michael todd was right. a uh, right. was a showman producer who really uh found a way to make movies that people would get away from their early television sets to go watch he went for very wide aspect uh ratio uh, films yeah so we'd watch uh todd ao cinema and, you know, things like CinemaScope, Cinerama, and all that stuff. Michael Todd was one of those guys who promoted the large frame uh, image so that people would come in and see these epics on the on the screen. Right. And uh, Todd A.O. is now, I think they sold everything out to a small company in Santa Monica. Who owns the name? But I don't think they use it anymore. So there it is. And then, uh, of course, the big the big symbol, color by Technicolor. Technicolor being the, the powerhouse of color film. They were pioneers in what was known as three strip color right. they'd make uh, uh the uh, cmyk uh the, the magenta and yellow and uh green and uh cmyk cyan magenta and uh yellow and <laughs> trying to remember trying to remember the now, primary nowadays, colors you know, right right and they yeah, just actually primary... they just had their 100th anniversary and yeah. i was yeah. i was i did a little research i'm thinking that 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 uh Airport was done single strip uh, die transfer yeah, uh, because that, this was probably towards the end of the die transfer process because more and more, you know, malls were starting to sh pop up and, and most malls began having movie theaters and it was just a very slow way of reproducing films, right? Yeah, and you know, for the younger members of the crowd – Every time you showed a movie, you had to have an individual print struck for it. It's not like today where they can ship out a digital copy of everything to all the mall theaters at once. So if you have, if you're opening in 1,200 theaters, you have to have 1,200 copies, at, le at least 1,200 prints, because you're going to have some that break or don't get there. So you have to have maybe twice that 
to make sure that you're covered. So, and that's, that was a very large part of uh, the cost of a film because uh, the prints, you know, just you, you might need, well, you need at least two to three hours. That could be nine to 10 reels of film that you've got to, uh, you've got to make it every one of them. And that's, you know, miles and miles of film costs you money. Uh, and uh, Technicolor at the time was up against Kodak. They were up against Deluxe. They were up against Agfa. So there were there was a lot more competition by the uh, the late 60s to get color prints out. Nobody was watching black and white anymore. That was the end of it. They were up against a lot of competitors, and they had to come up with good stuff. So like you're saying, the single die is probably the way that they did this. Can't find any. I've tried to find information about how many prints were struck, but I don't see it. Uh, online. We'll, if we come across that, we'll probably hit it in a later minute. We're also looking now with uh, past uh, past Technicolor. We look at uh, the next one up is uh, special photographic effects. So there's a lot of uh, quite a few special photographic effects. Although there are mostly most of the most of the shots that you're going to see in this movie of the jet are the actual 707. The, uh, oh, the, <laughs> I uh, don't know. I, I think know. it's a Tonka toy, but that's just me. <laughs> But if you're not watching a scene that looks like a real 707, it was done by Film Effects of Hollywood, uh, Don Weed, who had uh, helped develop the original uh, optical printer. You know, a lot of the overlays and things like that, stuff that had been around since Georges Millier had been able to be automated. Film Effects of Hollywood had come up with a lot of those things. So they worked on stuff like Star Trek, uh, Catch-22. If you ever watched the... uh, the 1970s TV series Project UFO, they did that. They did some stuff for uh, uh, the first year of Star Trek, but then they got uh, fired because I think their stuff was uh, too expensive at the time. Most of their most of their equipment wound up getting sold off to uh, Francis Ford Cop- uh, Coppola when he built American Zoetrope, so he did his own in-house optical effects. And, of course, nowadays all that stuff is done on a computer, so it doesn't matter anymore. Let's see, the last of these super technical things is the MPA logo comes up, the Motion Picture Association of America, which uh, you're supposed to follow a production code and not have certain pornographic things or drug issues and stuff like that. Uh, so this is a MPAA officially licensed uh, logo number 22114, which uh, now I've forgotten. What, uh, it, uh, two Mules for Sister Sarah, I think, was the one that was done immediately. After, oh, no, it's, um, yeah, it was two, two Mules for Sister Sarah was the one that was done after this. So if you look up the next one in line of MPAA, that would that would be there. Jim, I bow down to your in-depth knowledge. I just Google like mad. So I think we're coming up to the very end of these. Well, there's a bunch of these. We'll talk about Edith Head. Edith Head has every little last, everybody's wearing stuff by Edith Head in this movie. And she did a bang-up job because she basically had to create an entire airline's worth of uniforms. I mean, everything from the ticket agents to what the executives wear. And if you look to at this... the attention to detail, I mean, there was a shot with Dean Martin in this, you know, overcoat. And the lapels had, you know, looked like velour piping. And the epaulets on his shoulders had velour piping. I mean, nothing went by her, I don't think. No, and all the insignias, all the trans-global insignias were, you know, basically a very limited run. They only had to run 10 or 12. If you look at... we got to bring that Dean, back. When we, maybe Universal let us merchandise some of this stuff. <laughs> we'll bring back trans-global I would, t-shirts. I, I want some trans-global uh, buttons and... I want uh, a coffee and, cup. That's what I want. I want some of the plastic junior wings, you know, junior pilot yeah. wings that they give kids. That would be a thing. So anyway, check back with us. Maybe yeah, we can make a deal with Universal. <laughs> but, you know, you also have to remember the first rule of scuba diving, which is don't hold your breath. Yeah. 
right. Exactly. We're just kidding about all this uh, legal yeah, department and NBC a, Universal. <laughs> but if but if you want to, yeah, you know, please but if you want to throw know. us a bone. It's okay. Uh, Edith Head worked on everything from you know Hitchcock movies. Her final movie was a Steve Martin movie called uh, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, which was a parody of, well, it was a kind of a compilation of uh, film noir movies that she had worked on previously. She died uh, 1981. Ah, uh, Miss Head. So, but she probably did go to the premiere, I would think. And, and no doubt she was elegantly dressed, I'll bet that. Yes, but with those weird glasses. And the, yeah, if you watch the movie The Incredibles, the woman that's the designer of all the... Uh, superhero costumes is a that's a parody of Edith Head, but you wouldn't know it unless you're as old as us. Yeah, as you're as old as dust. Yeah. Uh. So uh, of course we talked about uh, Alfred Newman. We talked about him in uh, minute one. Yep, not Alfred E. Uh, Newman. No, but his his music we will talk about in a much later minute. We have some uh, some musicians and uh, people who actually write for film coming on much much later. So keep tuning back, and we'll we'll talk with them some more later. And then we get to. Uh, we get to associate producer Jacques Mapes, and you wonder, what does an associate producer do in this movie? Well, We don't want to get into that, really. <laughs> no, no, that's a little too much detail, but basically... Whatever uh, he wants Mapes, is the answer. Yeah. Jacques Mapes was, uh, he was Ross Hunter's uh, significant other, and when you want to get your significant other to go on a field trip with you to a scenic uh, wintertime Minneapolis, and you want Universal Studios to pay for it, you make your significant other... Your associate producer, although that's kind of a that's kind of shortchanging Jacques Mapes because he was uh, he was a set designer uh, of his own right. He he's probably most famous for uh, the set designs of uh, Singing in the Rain. If you watch Gene Kelly jumping up and down and Donald O'Connor uh, smashing through all those uh, uh, cardboard sets and things while he's dancing to make him laugh, you're thinking that's of Godzilla. <laughs> You're right. No, wait, wait, Donald Ma- Donald O'Connor was a Godzilla. I didn't know that. Okay. Wow. No, it's anyway. talking about smashing through uh, cardboard yes. sets. There you go. <laughs> just riffing. Oh. Just just spitballing here. Just, I understood. Trying to keep the understood. podcast going. But Jacques Mapes was uh, Jacques Mapes was. I think he was one of Errol Flynn's friends, and I'm. I can't remember. Ty- he was either Tyrone Powers or Errol. I think he was Tyrone Powers. Uh, partner, and then he left. He left his star for Russ Hunter, and Russ Hunter had also been going out with a uh, closeted Hollywood star, and they both wound up. You know, why? Why don't we? Why do we have to play second bananas to these guys? We'll form our own power team, and they did. They they were together for thirty, forty years, and like a really tough time to um, be gay in Hollywood. I would think. Anyway, he he. Sur- Jock Mapes survived Russ Hunter and passed away in two thousand two. If you want to visit him, he's at Westwood Cemetery. <laughs> That's all the information I have about Jacques Mabe. So uh, then we get to Arthur Haley, right. who uh, it, it, it's saying that over the radar edition. Uh, it's from the from the novel, the original novel, which was a bestseller both Not in the book club. Haley. No, no, no. Don't get the, the Haley's confused. But he wrote mostly pot boiler, soap opera kind of things. He wrote Wheels. He wrote um, Hotel. And a lot of his stuff got turned, once it finished being a book, they turned it into a movie because they had the crossover of little ladies who want to go see these movies. So he did a lot of that, and uh, uh, he did the Money Changers, um, I think. Yeah, that's, and so he worked on a bunch of those, and then they, you know, his second income came from scripts based on his novels. So the smart, smart guy who knew how to work a property over and over again. And that was a nice second income, I would guess. I would think the the residual checks must have been smashing, especially when you think this movie made a hundred million dollars, and he must have gotten a, a chunk of that. 
And that's $100 million, yeah. We're talking about a half, half a billion dollars That's nowadays. like a, you could buy a, buy a nice chunk of Carbon Beach in Malibu for that back then. Yeah. That might be an interesting thing to see. Look up where, where Arthur Haley lived. But I'm sure our avid listeners will... They'll know. Bother. They'll know. They'll know. They'll know. And that's that's really the end of this first minute. We are just about we're coming up to the very last credits. They'll be in the next minute, but we can talk about that tomorrow with a special guest star who is one of our oldest and dearest friends. So please check back with us tomorrow, and uh, we'll be finally out of the out of the credits, out of these endless and into credits. the guts of the movie. Yes. Well, I actually have a plane to catch, so I'm going to say well, a quick goodbye, America, until uh, tomorrow's episode. Yes, and uh, I will say please visit us on Facebook, AirportMinute.com, or Airport Minute, and uh, Twitter, Airport Minute. Pick up a schedule, uh, subscription for this at iTunes, look for Airport Minute, and visit us at our website, AirportMinute.com. So let's pick this up again on Thursday. Uh, Mark, have a good trip, and until then, good day. Bye-bye. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling. Mm-hmm.